Hello team and welcome back to the Simply Fit Podcast. Today I bring you some incredible news. I have been working on a secret project for the past three or four months now and I now can tell you that the brand new follow along workout channel is live and here. On this YouTube channel, you're gonna find workouts for fat loss, muscle building, improving your cardio health, flexibility, everything is gonna be on there. You're gonna find body weight workouts, dumbbell workouts, kettlebell and resistance bands workouts, all that you can follow along with. And the best part is that it's completely free. They're also around 10 to 20 minutes long, meaning if you're short of time, you can quickly complete an effective workout or you can combine like two or three of them together and complete like a full 45 to 60 minute workout. New workouts will go live on the channel every Tuesday and Thursday and they're gonna be accompanied by an amazing backdrop, which I'm sure you're all gonna enjoy. So if you wanna find the channel, just search Elliot Hassoon into YouTube and you'll find it very easily. And please subscribe. It makes me very, very happy and it helps the channel grow. And feel free to tell your friends, your family, your pets, whoever you want to share this with and let's work out together. Hello team and welcome to episode 267 of the Simply Fit podcast. In today's episode, I have the pleasure of speaking with Georgie Collinson. Georgie is an anxiety mindset coach, naturopath, and nutritionist who helps busy women achieve balance within their minds, their bodies, and their businesses. Georgie's approach to helping those with anxiety is a full-bodied approach. She's not only interested in helping people solve the challenges of the mind with the mind, she's using all of her expertise to provide a comprehensive and long-lasting approach to help those quiet their anxious minds and live a life of freedom and fulfillment. In this episode, you can expect to learn how you can go from being an anxious person to a person who occasionally experiences moments of anxiety, how we can recognize burnout and begin to overcome it, along with how we can sustain the improvements we've made for a lifetime, along with so much more. So without further ado, Georgie Collinson. Georgie Collinson, welcome to the show. How are you today? I'm great, Elliot. Uh, as I said, coming to you from the mountains of Sintra in Portugal, super excited to talk with you today. Mm, I couldn't imagine having you in a better setting for today's conversation, so I'm very excited to get straight into it. So for those who may have not come across you before and the work that you do, can you give us a little bit of context about who you are and what it is that you do? Of course. So I have a number of titles. It can get a little bit of a mouthful, but essentially I help women with high-functioning anxiety. So they're the overachiever types, the perfectionists, putting so much pressure on themselves. And of course, like men can benefit too from what I have to share. But when I when I speak specifically to women, there's specific areas we can really dive deep into, such as feeling um, self-conscious around appearance, body, menstrual cycle stuff comes into it too, hormones. And so I work from a really holistic perspective. I, I don't like to leave any stone unturned when it comes to getting to the root cause of anxiety. I'm a hypnotherapist. I'm a mindset coach, naturopath, and a nutritionist. So I kind of wanted to create something that just is everything all in one so that we've got everything someone needs to master their anxious mind for life. That's beautiful because like you mentioned that a lot of focus can be placed on just the mind or just the nutrition or just the So to combine them all together, like you're really ticking all the boxes, which is amazing. But we'll come back into that in just a moment because that's quite far down the road on your journey. So I want to take it all the way back to where it really all began. Was this inspired from your personal journey? Were the challenges that you went through that made you think, you know, I really want to take control of my own anxiety and help other women feel empowered by doing the same for themselves? Totally. So like, I mean, I always go back to 
essentially through high school, I was that like high achiever, wanted to get the best results, wanted to have all the friends, very conscious of my appearance, all of those things. And yet it wasn't quite at the level yet that I was feeling debilitated or crippled by it in any way. I was very much high functioning. But then after I graduated from high school, my parents divorced in quite a shock that really rocked me. Um, It turned out that my dad had been having an affair for two years with a woman who was even more than half his age, like only two years older than my older sister. So it was really, uh, we had no idea that my dad had that going on or anything, you know? And so it really brought into question, like, who are these support figures in my life? And all of a sudden my dad was someone I didn't think he was. And that was very confusing and very traumatic. My mom couldn't be there to support me because of course she was going through her own stuff. My sister ran off overseas. My brother buried himself in Xbox and it was just me there supporting my mom through the whole thing. And so that brought up all of my anxiety to a whole new level where I would wake up every morning just telling this story of life's gone wrong. Like this is not how it was meant to be. I was meant to have my stable family unit and now they're gone. I don't know. I don't know what to do. And I've got a brace for the next bombshell that's going to come because it wasn't just one moment. You know, if anyone's experienced something like this, some kind of family tragedy or your parents divorcing, it's such a common story these days, of course, but it's not just the one moment. It's a fallout of moments and and the next thing and the next bit of news and the next ugly conversation you overhear or so it's a it was a whole ongoing thing and as I said I'd wake up every morning just feeling like it, it was all wrong and I couldn't shake that feeling and it led me to sort of want to I was so aware that I couldn't control anything outside of myself and yet I knew maybe I could find some power in controlling myself or what I like my internal state right So I was kind of on the right track, but I got it wrong a little bit. And this is, this is what I'm so passionate about helping people with this part, because I got the messaging, whether it was from social media, wherever, that was very much the era of clean eating. Everyone was going either vegan or paleo or whatever it was. And I very much got sucked into all of that. And from a kind of well-intentioned place, like I thought if I can nourish my body and optimize my gut health and all of that, I am going to make myself so resilient that I'll I'll be healthy, I'll be happy and life will be perfect. But it led me into more anxiety because I took it way too far and I developed what's called orthorexia, which is super common. It's where you're essentially in that restrictive mindset, but it's specific food rules. So for example, I can't touch dairy. If I touch any dairy products and like reading food labels and all of that, I have failed today. And I would go to bed at night thinking I've failed or I've won today based on what I ate, which was so not a healthy place to be and not really getting me to the goal that I wanted in the first place, which was just to feel better, to feel more empowered and, and calmer in my life. So from there, it led me to study naturopathy and nutrition, which was great, even though it came from a sort of like misguided kind of place to begin with. And I was just lit up every time they were talking about the nervous system, gut health, the way it links to our mind. And it very, it, it, it sounds obvious now that I would work with anxiety, but it, it's one of those things I was lost as I went through it. You know, I was just following what felt right and following my passion and eventually things came clear and I just realized, firstly, as I, as I found a much more balanced place in myself, finding that, you know, you have to work on the mindset piece, you have to do the inner work 
you have to learn to sit with your emotions and sit with the pain and the discomfort. And as I did that through studying my naturopathy degree, as the years went on and taking these little leaps of faith and just trusting life, like, you know, I left a six year relationship and just threw caution to the wind and went on this adventure traveling for a few months. And those kind of things taught me, okay, the universe catches you. And I slowly built up that trust. And so having gone through that experience and seeing through the illusions of my mind, all the limiting beliefs that I created, it just, it just almost broke my heart. The things I thought were possible for me then, like life was this, was just a little box and I had the blinkers on. And once I started to ask better questions and heal this stuff, life opened up so much more for me. And honestly, the way I'm living my life now, I'm in Portugal, I'm writing a book. I'm like, get to choose my hours. I have wonderful, amazing people around me. It's so, I feel so free and so powerful. And I honestly, this didn't exist as a possibility to me seven or eight years ago. So it's, it's really cool. And I just love showing people how to master that, how to know the tricks of the mind so that it doesn't hold you back and take away all of that joy that's here right now. I have such an empowering story. And if anyone is to show people that it's exactly yourself who's gone through the depths of it and come out the other side and is thriving on on the other side of that as well. So I'm super, super curious to get your take on how you got there and also take us back to what it looks like to be a high functioning, yeah, what it looks like to have high functioning anxiety because they almost seem, yeah. it seems like an oxymoron, right? You're like, is anxiety high functioning? And then, yeah, if you can run through what potentially the typical traits of someone with that, because I think we kind of understand based on your definition but I'd love to see if people can put themselves within the narrative or the description of the person that you said would have something like that. Totally. So I was the prime example. I mean, it's on the outside, looks like you got everything together. And this is why it's so insidious in our culture. It's very much ingrained in our culture and often celebrated to be this kind of person where you you look like you're doing everything. You're, you know, everything's perfect. Appearance, friends, relationship, career, it looks like you've just got everything under control. But inside, you're critical of yourself. You feel exhausted. You're just doubting yourself and doubting your decisions, feeling a sense of it's never enough and I'm never, I've never done enough. And so often these people are constantly doing. Then come in the coping mechanisms, which are not so healthy, such as usually food is a really common one because food's always there for us and we don't have to ask for help. These people are usually find it quite difficult to ask for help because there's a perception of I can do it all by myself. I'll, I'll, I'll have to, I'll just... Uh, and because they're very capable people, very intelligent, driven people, but um, often feel incapable when it comes to anxiety and more of the personal stuff and the emotional stuff. The other coping mechanisms are sometimes alcohol, drinking can be one, online shopping, big one, scrolling on social media is another one that a lot of people um, can relate to. And then overworking. So when you, for example, if you're going through a, a breakup or some kind of crisis in your life, it's like, I'll just bury myself in work and not feel the feelings. Everything's about not feeling the uncomfortable, anxious feeling, but still looking like a successful person on the outside. So that is high functioning anxiety pretty much in a nutshell. So where is the temptation to move away from that? Because I'm sure there's a lot of people thinking that's like, well, I'm high functioning. 
there's a lot of people out there with a lot of anxiety who find it debilitating and can't do anything with their anxiety. So if I'm someone who's able to continue to succeed in the things that I'm supposed to, quote unquote, my relationships, my friendships, I'm just feeling this little bit of angst and maybe I've got some unhealthy coping mechanisms, but fundamentally I'm still completing the things I need to do on a day-to-day basis. Why do I need to change? Totally. So usually it comes to more of a, there's been something that's happened that's woken you up to the fact that you're not actually living your life the way you'd love to be be living it. Coming back to what's really important in life. So it could be that you've completely burnt yourself out. You're working 16 hour days and it's like, why am I doing this? Maybe it's a health condition. Maybe it's suddenly you're realizing it's impacting your relationships and you're, you know, you feel like you're a miserable person to be around because of the pressure you're constantly putting on yourself. Usually it comes out in these like outbursts with the ones that we love. And so starting to notice how it's impacting the people around you is often where people come to me, particularly feeling like you've exhausted all options and been often, often these people kind of aware it's not, it's not healthy um, to have that level of stress. Maybe it's impacting sleep. Maybe there's digestive issues. Maybe there's hormone imbalances. And so it's wanting to live a life where you feel confident in yourself, confident in your abilities, feeling like you are kind to yourself because our whole experience of our life, it doesn't matter. You could be in a five-star hotel, you know, CEO of a company, whatever, uh, getting room service or whatever, anything you want. And if you're telling yourself that you're a horrible human and you're worthless and you're no good and you're not good enough and no one no one would love you without that CEO title or no one would love you without that money, that's not a healthy place we want to be. That's not enjoying life. And the money and all the titles and stuff start to become very meaningless. So it's realizing that honestly, one of our greatest attributes in life is, is looking after our minds and being kind to ourselves, because that means that you can be in any situation and you can feel capable and you can feel calm and you can feel content. And if you're kind to yourself, it honestly just brings so much more joy into our lives. I think we could all do a bit more of that. And on that note as well, we all perceive anxiety as something that's just a challenge of the mind. What impact does anxiety have from a physiological standpoint? Because I think that really taps into the many areas of your expertise there. Yeah, for sure. So I was originally working just as a naturopath and seeing clients with all kinds of conditions, whether it's autoimmune diseases or hormone imbalances or chronic skin stuff, lots of different things. And no matter what's going on health-wise, if we're looking to feel our best, we've got to look at managing our stress. And it was always the hardest one to, to manage. And stress and anxiety overlap because essentially chemically in the body, what's happening is when you receive that email, that dreaded email, that's like, oh my God, you've got to do these 50 things and you've got a, you know, a day to do them. Um, <laughs> or the, the bill in the mail that like turns your stomach or whether it is an argument you've had with a friend, all of those moments, right, create a stress response in our body. In fact, even just imagining something stressful, asking the question, what if What if this doesn't go to plan? What if I fail? What if I'm terrible at this presentation I've got to give? We create a stress response in our body. So it's a physically impacting your health. And the stress response comes back to the idea of cortisol. Cortisol is the stress, the main stress hormone in your body. It's produced by your adrenal glands. They're two little glands that sit on top of your kidneys. And whenever we are under some kind of stress, your body will release more cortisol. It releases adrenaline too. Adrenaline is that really like buzzed feeling, but cortisol is more of the low level on edge feeling where your muscles are tight, your jaws clenching. 
And this is okay if it was happening once in a while. If it was happening like it might have many thousands of years ago when we were just, or hundreds of years ago when we were just like every now and then you'd come across a bear in the woods kind of thing. And you needed in that moment to go into emergency mode to save yourself, to run away from it or fight that that threat. This is fight or flight mode. You might've heard of it before. Unfortunately, what's happening is we're living in fight or flight mode. Majority of our day, every time we get that email, every time we get a notification, our phones are buzzing. We're getting like news broadcast live streamed across the world. Like that is stressful on our systems and it's raising our cortisol levels, which means when we have high cortisol, our body's in a survival mode. It's in emergency mode. So in emergency mode, your digestion goes to sleep. It's not important to digest food right now because you've got to get away from that bear is what your body's thinking. So let's just like take all the energy away from your digestion. Let's switch that off. That's not important. It's not important to make babies right now because it's not a safe environment to do so. So we're going to take all the attention away and energy away from your reproductive system. So this is where in, you know, we've got male fertility decreasing. I can't remember the exact percentage, but something horrific. Don't Google it. It'll scare you. But like just sperm counts are going down. We've got hormone issues all over the place with women that are completely normalized, like period pain's normal, PMS is normal. It's not normal. It's a sign of a hormone imbalance, usually because of the way we're living our lives and the stress. So the body in emergency mode doesn't put any attention onto our reproductive health because it's not a good time to reproduce. We gotta like protect this one organism, not worry about multiplying right now. So when we're in that chronic state on a daily basis, uh, we start to see hormone imbalances. We start to see digestive issues. Um, most people with anxiety notice it goes one way or the other or both, where we either everything stops in your digestive system, you get more constipation, or everything moves through more too quickly and we get loose stools. And either way, that's not great for us. If you're digestive systems completely stopped or it doesn't completely stop but slowed right down your body's trying to get rid of waste and those wastes that your body's trying to get rid of are inflammatory to your system and instead of you just releasing that it's being recycled and reabsorbed back into your bloodstream when you don't have a bowel motion every day most people don't know this, that you're meant to move your bowels every single day. The other thing, sorry, I talk about gut health all the time. I hope it's okay. <laughs> I'm so used to talking about this stuff, but I should have given you a disclaimer, Elliot. The other thing is if everything's moving too quickly through your system, there's not enough time to absorb those nutrients because your gut wall actually needs to have some, some time to slowly extract the nutrients from your food that's moving through. So we can end up nutrient deficient if we're chronically experiencing loose stools too. So these things aren't great for us over, over time. Your gut is also the seat of inflammation in your body regardless, and inflammation is the precursor to all disease. Stress also plays a role in all disease too, and stress will upregulate your inflammatory markers in your body. So it's going to have an impact on all sorts of different conditions, essentially. Sleep is another big one it will impact. Usually we get what's called cortisol dysregulation where the cortisol in our bodies is meant to be highest in the morning and lowest in the evening so that in the evening we can produce our melatonin and get a good night's sleep. Yet what happens is when we're not producing cortisol at the right times, 
we'll actually end up getting a, uh, a reduced amount of melatonin in the night. So we won't sleep as deeply and we won't go into that repair that we, we so, so essentially need. So these are just some impacts. Stress and anxiety can impact everything in the body, but that's a bit of an overview without boring everyone to tears with all the details and getting too scientific. Not at all. I think that everyone's probably on some level, well, I hope not everyone, but majority of us can relate to that on some level in terms of potentially the digestive impact we've had, the impact that we've had on our sleep. And unfortunately, it just becomes a bit of a cycle, right? It's like one bad day of digestion doesn't equal one bad day of digestion because that impacts the next day of the digestion and so forth. And same with the sleep, it just gets you into a bit of a, a cycle. So now that we've recognized the physiological impacts and the psychological impacts and we're ready to make the change, how do we go from being an anxious, quote unquote, person to being someone who just occasionally experiences anxiety without letting it essentially control their frame of mind at all times? Yeah. So that's the million dollar question, isn't it? And you could ask me that question, like where to start on any given day. And I'd probably give you a slightly different answer. And that's not because there's no formula. It's because yes, there's a formula you can work through, but it's really important that people make it their own because we are all individuals. So I like to offer people a kind of tasting platter and you can taste each idea and each concept. You don't have to apply all of it, but you see what works well for you. For example, one of the things I love is cold showers because of how they have, oh my God, there's so many reasons I love cold showers. Let me start (laughs) with, it triggers our vagus nerve, which is the nerve that connects our brain to our gut. So it's sending us into rest and digest mode right out of that fight or flight mode when we add 30 seconds of cold water onto the end of your normal shower. It will give you a shock. You'll have that like, ooh, feeling. But I like to make it a positive thing. So I I don't shriek and scream. I, I giggle and laugh when I do this. And it totally changes it if you go in with a smile on your face. So it's, it's having a physiological effect of bringing you into a calm state. It's also, so it's beautiful for like breaking through that cycle of anxious thinking. Um, and this is something you could just add in every single day and be slowly building up little reminders for your body to come back to rest and digest mode, come out of that fight or flight survival mode, come back to that baseline. Everyone's busy. We need to find ways that weave into our lifestyle. And I love that everyone's pretty much having a shower every day. Hopefully you are most days anyway, (laughs) most days. And so how easy is that to just add 30 seconds of cold onto the end of your shower? So there's little ways we can kind of flag that. And it's not the only thing and it's not going to be like, you know, a silver bullet or anything, but it's certainly helping to remind your body to come back to this relaxed state. I also love the mindset component involved in that, which is most people don't like cold water. That's totally cool, especially if it's winter time where you are. Like in Australia, it's winter at the moment. And believe believe it or not, it actually gets really cold in Australia in winter, particularly down south where I, where I come from in Melbourne. So it, it's, it's not always appealing for people, the idea of going to cold water. Most people go, oh, I'm not going to try that because that's uncomfortable. I don't like it. I was the same. Like I am a warm person. I'm, I've escaped Australia's winter. I'm in Portugal right now for summer. So I clearly love the warm, but I love a cold shower because I know how beneficial it is for me. I know that cold is my friend. I know that those 30 seconds, the first 30 seconds are the hardest part, like the most uncomfortable. And after that, you're fine. And I also know I can endure hard things and I'm capable of that. And to walk into that shower every morning, knowing that you can endure some an uncomfortable moment 
and you're capable of that sets you up in such a mindset that what else can you do? And if you can go from thinking you're this person that doesn't like the cold, no, 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 I want to be comfortable all the time. And you can start to experiment with what you can do and what you can experience and withstand, then it totally changes your perception of, okay, well, if I thought I was this cold, per- this person that likes the warmth only and I can't do cold, but now I'm becoming quite a fan of these cold showers and I can do that every day. What else can I be? What other lies am I telling myself and limitations around my identity and who I think I am? Particularly an identity we tend to focus on, which is this idea that you are fundamentally an anxious person or a stressed person or a high-strung person. That's just a story you keep telling. It's not, it's not who you are. And I actually encourage people next thing as a starting point to work with loosening away from the label of I'm this person with anxiety and start to move into the idea that I can experience anxiety sometimes, but it doesn't mean that's who I am. Because often, Elliot, when we find that it's it's hard to overcome anxiety or move forward with anxiety, partly because there's a part of us that believes we're getting a benefit from it, which kind of takes us back to what we were talking about before. That's my secret source. That's how I'm so successful in my life. That's how I achieve things. So we think we can't get rid of it because if we get rid of it, we're throwing everything out. And that's where it gets really interesting asking yourself, what am I gaining from this anxiety? Sometimes it's other things. It might be attention, maybe because you're the anxious one and you freak out. It's like your partner comes in and cuddles you and looks after you all the time, or your, your mom always did that for you. And so it's a way of getting love and feeling validated and important. So there's all sorts of things. Often though, it's some kind of a protection mechanism coming in there. So we're terrified to let that go. And I have so much compassion for the part of us that's scared to let that go because of course we want to protect ourselves, but we have to show our mind that actually we're okay and we, we're, we've got this and like you can protect yourself without the anxiety. Mm, it's such a good point you made. I had a guest on last week who had a similar background to yourself and he said the exact same thing. It's like a lot of people do think it's exactly that, their secret source. And he was like, well, it's not the fact it's your secret source. It's the fact that you can't turn it off means it's not a superpower. If you could turn it on and off, then that would probably make it a superpower. And I was like, that's a good point. If you actually think about any superhero, they don't, they aren't controlled by their powers. They control their powers, right? So ultimately, if it's one of those things that you just can't switch off, and yes, you're super high functioning, but at the end of the day, where where do you take a break from that? It's like ultimately, yeah, it's only gonna get so long before it does the opposite. And I actually want to touch on that. It was a question for a little bit later, but I want to speak more about burnout. And it's not something that's been spoken about as much as it was maybe like two years ago. Maybe it was more pandemic era that a lot of people were speaking about it more and more. But I want to talk about some of the impacts that we can run into with burnout being one of them. I would say that I'm someone who can relate with burnout, but I wouldn't be able to categorize myself of having burnout. So how do we identify if we are even in that category? So I have a a very, very big suspicion that I've experienced it many times, but I've never put that definition on it. So I'm keen to understand how can we start to identify it? What are some of the key factors? And then how can we start moving away from it to get ourselves into a position where we have a more healthy and productive relationship with our work, our relationships, our life, full stop. Yeah, love it. Okay. So when it comes to burnout, there's a spectrum. The far end of the spectrum is usually the story of someone who has worked themselves to the brink and usually quite intense working situation where like one of those, one of those crazy jobs that we, we all know about corporate, let's say corporate, right? And it's where, and not all corporates like this, but of course there are some situations that aren't healthy for us. And so usually there's a health diagnosis 
or a marriage breakdown or some kind of like big crisis moment. And in the, and this is the extreme where there is like no energy, no motivation, completely lost the passion and the spark. And usually possibly even more anxiety because that anxiety is, I can't do this anymore. I can't keep going like this. But the anxiety is always a messenger. It's always got something to tell us that something's out of balance. So when we're experiencing more and more anxiety, it's saying you are off track, you are off, off track. And that might not just be your career. And like, sometimes we take this way too literally, like it's like, there's something wrong. It could be health-wise, it could be you are not sleeping enough. You are not sleeping enough. And it's trying to communicate. If we actually listen to those messages and tune back into ourselves, we can really work our way back out of it. But we're so conditioned to ignore what our bodies are saying, to push through, to just have another cup of coffee and put on a smiley face and post a cool Instagram pic about how awesome your life is and forget about it, right? So that's one extreme and it can take months to recover from that. We're talking about full adrenal fatigue. This is where your adrenal glands that wake you up every day are so depleted because you've been pulling out the cortisol, pumping out that cortisol out of your adrenal glands for so long that your adrenal glands are basically given up. There's not enough nutrition in your body to support that level of activity, uh, the demands and the expectations you place on your body. And so many of us do this and there's not enough to support the coffee intake. So when we have caffeine, the reason we get energy is because it causes our adrenal glands to pump out adrenaline and cortisol. Not so great to be running on stress hormones your whole life because you will, you'll, you'll drain those batteries. So, and, the, and one of the ways coffee works too, and then wakes us up is that it basically communicates to our brain that we're not tired when we actually are and we're deeply sleep deprived. So that's kind of the extreme, but of course, a more moderate version of that would be just anxiety starting to increase, noticing dread for the week, especially on a Sunday kind of thing. And the weekend's never long enough, losing motivation, losing passion, starting to feel those feelings of bleakness, feeling exhausted, and maybe the odd you know, health issue popping up, whether that's just that you've got sick with a cold or, you know, you might have some chronic sign in your body that tells you you're, you're drained. For me, I get mouth ulcers. Some people might get cold sores, things like that, right? So, so these start sort of things. Or um, one thing that women can notice as well is like their hormones start to change. Your cycle, The menstrual cycle will show you when you're stressing your body out too much as well. And often we try to sort of ward all of that off with some more medications or some more coffee. And that's when we're really getting it into a dangerous zone where we can go further to that extreme that I mentioned as well. So what does the road back look like, especially if we want to maintain our high functioning life? Because I think burnout doesn't just come from our work. It also comes from maintaining our hectic social life. You know, I have so many clients who I work with who are slammed Monday to Friday. We've got this heavy social life on the weekend, back into it on Monday. And it's just this endless cycle of socializing, working and compromising sleep and their health. So what does the road back look like and how can we do it without too much impact to our productivity or our social lives? Well, first thing to acknowledge is that this is not a horrible thing that's happened. As, as much as it's a, an unpleasant experience to go through and certainly not where we want to be in our lives, it is a big wake-up call. And it makes me really excited when this happens for people in their lives because it's the it's a moment to seriously ask some, some questions in your life. Like, what is this all for? Why am I doing, why am I not taking care of my beautiful body? I'm going to be dead one day. Like we all will. This, these, this life is precious. 
So what do you, how do you want to spend your time? And really taking the, the moment to, I honestly think it's serious enough. Like, and if it's not something like that, that's going to bring you into asking those questions, what will? So it's the perfect time to ask, take stock and really question what are your values? What's important to you? We have to get into a habit of prioritizing and, and not having this daily expectation that we get everything on our to-do list done. I fail to get everything on my to-do list done most days. And I know that, and I've just decided to not feel bad about it. But that takes some some training to do that uh, and some deconditioning around where... And, and so this is where we can look at where did all this pressure come from? Why do you need to be high-functioning to that degree? Why do you need to be the CEO? Why do you need to make millions and millions of dollars or whatever it is that's your goal? Who's that for? Is that really just for you? Why are you not enough just as you are? And often when we ask these questions, it often can come back to a one of our caregivers growing up. So I know for myself, I've had had this too. And it was my dad. You know, my dad's love was never as consistent. His time was never as consistent as my mom's. And so dad became the one that I had to work that little bit it, as a child, had to work a little bit harder to get his attention. And through various unconscious messaging. I mean, my parents were never the kind to push me into things that I didn't want to do or, you know, tell me I had to be a lawyer, I had to be a doctor or any of those kind of things. But it was still picked up that those were the values that money and, and, and career success was a something to aspire to that would be impressive. And it was it was things like not directly said to me, but it might have been a conversation overheard such as, wow, that person's doing so well. Look, they've done all this. That's so impressive. And hearing my dad say something like that. So then I'm, I take on that messaging. And this is so common, right? Like it's just everywhere. But we have to ask these questions like, why? Who are you doing that for? Is that really what you wanted to do. And if you go back to like your five-year-old self, who used to like dream up how you wanted to live your life, when you just play around pretending to be an astronaut or whatever, like, did you really care about living in like a mansion and having, you know, whatever the dream is, whatever we think we should be living our lives as, because the truth is when you're like, we, we see little kids loving life, so happy from the simplest of things. Like look at the ladybug or like, they'll be, they'll be watching just like, I don't know, a flower and and they take notice of these little things in life that, you know, it's so cliche, but it is about the little things. And the more present we can become with those things, the richer our lives can become. It's never about the stuff. So it does require a big stock take of where you're heading in your life, whose approval you're seeking and really working on that self-worth. Like that, what if you didn't have success like that? Who would you be? Would you still be lovable? Would you still be enough? And this is where I love hypnotherapy because it works on that those subconscious beliefs and helps us to, to transform that and do that exploration into where did this come from? So that's a huge part of it because if you want to turn your life around, you want to be happier. So many people say, I say, what do you, how do you want to feel when, when they come to me and they're like, I'm so anxious, I'm exhausted, this is happening. I say, how do you want to feel? They say, happy. What does happy mean? We have to ask the question of what happy means. Is it, is it the next career goal? Is is it the money in your bank account that makes you happy? You know, we've all had that feeling where you've just had a fresh paycheck come in and then it's like, well, hang on, like now where's the next one? It doesn't last very long. So what lasts long is, is meaningful connections with people. It's taking care of ourselves, having a kind, loving relationship with yourself 
and, and learning to put that energy and validation into yourself, not seeking it externally all the time. So that's a big conversation to have. And then, of course, it's applying that, letting yourself rest, knowing that you're not saving lives here unless you're a doctor in an emergency room. Like no one's going to die if you took a mental health day off work today or a month off work and asking yourself how you really want to spend your days and, and living by that and starting to make some big shifts. But there are, there are other things that can support our recovery. I mean, for example, the adrenal glands soak up vitamin C. So vitamin C can be a really powerful uh, nutrition component to help recharge the system. Magnesium, super important. We churn through magnesium when we're under the levels of stress that we expect our bodies to perform at. Uh, so magnesium, pretty much everyone <laughs> should be having in some way. We don't get it enough in our food because it's not enough in the soil. So if it's not enough, we don't get that mineral enough in the soil. It's not getting into our fruits and vegetables. Who's eating enough fruits and vegetables anyway? You, you know, a supplement is, is pretty essential, but these are, you know, rest rest is the best supplement and how great that's free yeah so true no as well i want to go into like the more long-lasting impacts that we need to make in terms of longevity i feel like a lot of us can make these changes immediately like yep i'm going to take this month off i'm really going to start to prioritize things i understand where this drive and this desire comes from but then it's one or I was going to say one year, but I think that's quite kind. Maybe it's like three or six months down the line, you know, the next stressful situation comes in and we go back to some of those unhelpful coping mechanisms. So I think the big question I have is on longevity and how we are able to maintain this position of self-love, compassion, doing the things for the right reasons and not for the reasons that people place their expectations on us or society's expectations. How do we continue on this road for years and years to come so we can actually live the lives that we were actually supposed to live maybe or at least that we wanted to live yeah i love that question so much because you've really brought it back to back to i suppose a reality i mean like it's on one hand it's sort of easy to sit here i was telling you before we, we hit record on this call i'm in this co-working space where everyone has a communal lunch every day there's a few of the mountains you can work by the pool it's incredible but this is not everyone's reality and I, it's not my reality all the time i'm just here for the time being for a few weeks and so really I have this concept that I work with with people called creating certainty and that comes from the first question to ask is can you picture where you're going to be in five years from now and most people probably a bit foggy on that and if you're already kind of like a bit unclear like well it depends on all these things it depends on this it depends on that that's an indicator that you're very much influenced by the external circumstances on your of your life determining you and how you're going to behave and respond and where you're going to be. So then we have to look at firstly acknowledging that, that you're very controlled by your external world and take back the power here because the power is really in you and how you respond to the environment. And if you can be certain about the qualities in yourself and how you will continue to respond, no matter what life challenges come your way, no matter if you lose that job or that relationship ends, or there's a new relationship, or there's a, the word bushfire just came to my head. I don't know if that's Australia thing, but like floods, we've had a lot of recently, like whatever comes your way, what can you be certain about within yourself? And how you will respond. And that's where we can start to develop a real, a real resilience. And of course, there's the, the habits, the lifestyle habits have to come into it. Looking after ourselves, getting enough sleep, feeding ourselves food that's going to nourish us and, and, and looking after our gut health. All of this helps your brain to be in a state where it can respond to stresses in your life in a more responsive way, not a reactive way. 
where you can sit back and kind of take that in and absorb that stress. We all know after a bad night's sleep, you're not going to be, you're going to be more easily triggered by something stressful that happens. That's low resilience. So we can build that resilience up, but we've also got to look at where the certainty comes from within yourself. And so this is recognizing and acknowledging and, and telling the story of how capable you are and how able you are to move through life's challenges because you've survived every single one that's come your way so far. It's looking at what do you know to be certain about you in five years from now? Is it your creativity? Is it the fact that you're very resourceful? Is it the fact that you can always make the most of the situation that you're in or that you're starting to learn that? And you have that ability to make the meaning of your life, no matter what happens. So let's say you think, you know, I've, I've, I've been through this, like thought I met the love of my life. And when that relationship ended, I was confused because I was like, well, hang on, this isn't how the story was meant to go. And the meaning I made that for a period of time going through the, the grief of it was that this has gone wrong, similar to my parents' divorce story. So you have to change the meaning of the story. So my parents' divorce isn't everything gone wrong to me. It was always meant to be that way. I wouldn't be who I am without that happening. And same with this this story about uh, meeting the love of my life. Well, it, he wasn't the love of my life. There's more than that. So that's the story I'm living. I'll always make the meaning of it something that serves me. I don't have to tell the story that that's it. You know, we can always change that. We have such a malleable ability within us to change our perception. And in that we have so much power. Can it be the certainty that you'll always be a kind person or at least you try to be kind to others and therefore you seek meaningful connections in your life? And so even if people pass away or friendships end or relationships end, you have such a powerful ability within you to connect to people and to have a community around you. This is where we can create a sense of certainty in all the uncertainty and the chaos of life, that if we can carry that and nurture that within ourselves and nurture those belief systems, doesn't matter what comes your way. And that's where I want people to be once they've gone through my program, worked with me, because it's like, you don't need me anymore. Go off and live your life now. You've got that capability regardless. I hope that answers your question, Elliot. No, it absolutely does. And it's a beautiful thing to create that stability within ourselves so we don't need to get it from anywhere else. And ultimately, I think that what you started with in saying, where can you see yourself in five years? And ultimately, irrespective of what happens, it might not look exactly how you anticipated it would, but you still want to strive to be in that place. Ultimately, if that's your goal and that's your vision for your life, it should be a, you know, the environmental things that can change shouldn't impact that. Ultimately, I'm going to be there. And whether X challenge comes along or X challenge comes along in some way, shape or form, I'm going to be there in five years. Or at least even if you're not, you want to be proactively working towards it, right? Because sometimes our timelines, our expectations aren't quite as accurate as we think they are. So I think ultimately creating that stability within yourself can be the most safe thing for years and years to come. And I think that that's where a lot of people might get a little bit confused and look for the safety in their, their job, the safety in their relationships, the safety in their friendships, their family. And I think that's part of the reason why so many people end up buying houses. It's not the fact they want a house, it's they want some certainty, some safety. But as you mentioned, there could be, a, you know, fingers crossed there isn't, there could be an environmental disaster that means you know, your house might not be there anymore. So the most safe thing I could possibly think of and something that's going to be really secure for years and years to come is having that belief system within yourself that you can always rely on and have experience to back it up. So I think you answered it beautifully. Yeah. And even if someone hears that and they're like, well, I don't feel like I, I can, I'm not strong enough. Can you have that faith in yourself that you can find the resources and the information you need if that situation arises as well? 
Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think we can all, yeah, start to dig into that certain aspect of ourselves that we know that we can be there for, even if we can start to ask the questions to other people. And I'm sure there's going to be a few familiar trends that come up and like, yeah, you're the, you're very resourceful or you're a very resilient person or you're super kind. And then, yeah, I think that that's a great road to start traveling down as well. So something I've identified you to be very, very effective at is expressing your emotions. And I'm very intrigued about this because I think that we are in an age of suppression and, you know, it's very, very easy to just pretend they don't exist. And of course they manifest in many other ways as I'm sure we've all experienced. So how have you been so effective at being able to express your emotions? Was it something that you were always able to do or was it something that you've taught yourself to do? I think we're all praying for the answer that you say that we, I just taught myself to do it. I wasn't bored with it so that we could all follow in your footsteps on that front. I would say I, it's a tricky one because I was definitely supported in the, in the sense of being able to express myself in my family growing up, but did my, you know, people around me express their emotions really well? Uh, in some ways, yes, but in some ways, no, there's always a part that we're suppressing. It's really actually when you, when you pay attention to how much you suppress your own emotions, you might think you like, some people say to me, I'm such an emotional person. I'm crying all the time. But then I really go into that and it's like, oh, there's like a moment of the tears prickling or they cry for one minute and then they go, okay, that's enough now and push it away. So they think they're crying all the time, but they're not. And I used to do that. So now the level of emotional depth that I move to is like, I don't stop until it's all gone. And sometimes that means I have a headache, but often, most often, or it's, it's noticing, like I've just heard a news story and it's triggered me. And I feel sad hearing that I could so easily just go, gulp that down and get on with my day and feel some anxiety because that's what happens when we suppress our emotions. Or I could just take five minutes to just hand on my heart and just let the tears come. And it literally doesn't have to be an hour out of your day. It can be five minutes. And yeah, it's an inconvenience sometimes. But if we can do that and feel into the emotion when it comes up, it's so powerful. And so, of course, it's a practice. And I was not, I would say I was never like completely that just take a shot of concrete, as we'd say in Australia, kind of person. I used to, I've always been a someone who can cry, but I also know that we can all do it because I help my, I love it when clients come to me and they can't cry because I'm just like, right, (laughs) let's get you crying because all people need is to know it's okay and to know that they're still enough as they do that. And and it's actually really healthy. I often say the mentality for that is like, just imagine when we go and work out at the gym and we hurt our muscles and we kind of like strain our muscles, we have this sense of it hurts, right? But it's good because it's healthy. Same thing with emotional expression and feeling your emotional pain. The more you can just let that experience be there. You don't have to be the experience. You watch it, you observe it, you let it through, move through you in a safe way that feels safe to you. We can achieve so much if we just weren't so afraid of negative emotion. So I think pretty much all the, all the problems of the world are people afraid to feel negative emotion. And would you say there's a more productive way? You just mentioned a safe way of expressing. Let's say anger comes along and that's in the form of someone yelling or throwing their fists at something. It's potentially not going to be super helpful for the people around them and it could be very dangerous for those around them. So how do we start to express them in a safer and a more productive way? Love anger. Do you know women have so much anger, especially the quiet ones, especially the the emotional ones that think 
they're just the cryy kind of weak person. So much anger. And so it's just been deeply suppressed because women aren't allowed to be angry in society because then we're called crazy. Similarly, men are allowed to be angry, but not allowed to be sad. So it's it's an interesting thing and not allowed to cry. You know, I'm just stereotyping here. But with anger, I mean, take yourself away to a room if you need to go through a, a period of moving through that anger on a daily basis, even maybe for a week, pillow scream, scream into a pillow, punch the pillow. I was doing an anger release practice because it come, things come up, right? And I was doing this a few months ago. And I the next day I was like, oh, my neck and shoulders are so sore today. What did I do? I'd really like thrown them out. And then it took me like ages to realize, oh yeah, I was punching the pillows really hard yesterday. And I'd like strained my muscles. So be careful. I've also strained my voice screaming before. So just, you know, be careful with it, but it's so powerful. It feels so good. And do it just in a private space. So there's many techniques that can help you release your emotions. But I think permission is the biggest piece that has to come first. I'm not, not projecting it onto others. It's like when, when someone's upset you, deal with your, your emotional response first. It's not suppress that. It's get it out privately. And then you're in a calm, clean space to have a conversation with someone and, and communicate what needs to be said. Absolutely. Just coming from that more rational place. And the got maybe it's, it's just taking the edge off that emotion, I think, quite a lot of the time, isn't it? It's like you don't want to go to that person with the height of your anger. Maybe express some of that in, like you mentioned, a safe and productive way. And then it's not as if you're going to rid all of that anger by just punching a pillow. It's probably still going to be some residual anger when you speak to that person. So you'll still be able to get your points across, but probably in a more measured way, let's say. Um, and probably without and probably without a lot, a lot less sparks flying off the edges. Well, let's you take a moment to come back to your compassion and come out of your ego of I'm right, you're wrong. Because at the end of the day, whatever's pissed you off in someone else or hurt you in someone else is also in you. Everyone's a mirror. And that's, that's always a bit of an awakening moment to be like, what? I'm nothing like that person. Yeah. Well, We've all got everything in us. We've all got every shade of gray, you know? Mm, and there's a reason why that person's triggering you so much. It's probably because you see a lot of, uh, of assets you don't like in yourself in that person. And they're just, yeah, <laughs> putting that mirror back in, back in your face as well. So I've got a couple of final questions and one that I don't want to skip right now because I know that you are very good at executing this, which is allowing your inner child to come out and play. I don't think a lot of us do enough of this, but I feel that you're someone who uh, encourages us a lot and practices what they preach as well. So can you give us a little bit of an insight in how we can let our inner child out a little bit more? So it's not so much that we grow old and we lose that innocence, that inner child within us. We just, our inner child doesn't feel safe to play anymore. And so some ways we can do that is, you know, asking yourself what would be fun right now, you know, noticing some ways that you could just do that. I know when at the height of my anxiety, one of the biggest things I couldn't do was answer the question, what, what do you do for fun? I didn't know. Whereas now that's the easiest thing in the world. I just go into that state of my inner child and I'm like, I don't know, like I could roll down this hill, like just watch other children. What are they doing? We've all got that within us. So it's coming back to that playful state and you can so do it, but we have to first feel safe to go there. Amazing. Yeah. I think a lot of us need to start tapping into that question and just looking for that honest answer. And I think we're going to find so much joy and probably a lot less anxiety in our lives when we actually give ourselves an opportunity to not just experience the hard edges of life, but occasionally throw the soft edges in as well. So I couldn't agree more on that note. So this has been an amazing, amazing conversation. So I want to wrap up with just one final question before I ask where people can find you best is what impact do you want to have on the people and the woman that you work with specifically? Because I know there's going to be a lot of men listening today who have taken a ton of value from that, including myself. 
What's the impact I want to have? I want to help people come back to what's really important in their lives so we can just like not let our anxious mind that criticizes us and limits us hold us back and see through those illusions. You know, so much of the stuff we say to ourselves is a complete lie. So it's time to tell yourself a better lie. So I want people to be loving themselves and mastering that anxious mind so we can just have a better life. Beautiful answer. And where can people find you if they want to keep up with the work that you're doing, follow the progress of the book, but don't get too excited, guys. It's, it's a little it's a little uh, way down the lane yet. So where can people follow you if they want to keep up with your work? Yeah, well, I hang out a lot over on Instagram at Georgie the Naturopath or my podcast, the Anxiety Reset Podcast is also a great free resource too. They're probably the best places, Elliot. Amazing. Well, thank you so much, Georgie. I'll put all that in the show notes. And it's been an incredible conversation. So thank you so much for your time. And I hope to bring you back on for round two in the future where your book's out. Yay. Fabulous. Thanks, Elliot. And that was the Simply Fit Podcast. I hope you gained a huge amount of value from today's episode. I feel inspired to improve your health and well-being. Be sure to search for Simply Fit in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify, or anywhere else you get your podcasts from. And go ahead and subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. Also, if you like the episode, please don't forget to give it a five-star rating. I'd love to hear your feedback or any questions you have. So reach out to me on social media. You'll find me on Facebook and Instagram at Elliot Hassoun. Thank you so much for listening. And I look forward to talking with you all on the next one.